Politicians say it's racist to take precautions about the coronavirus. The left increases its radical calls for climate action. Plus, the Trudeau government brazenly stamps out freedom of press in Canada. Plus, we'll talk about the Super Bowl. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. We have a lot to get to, so let's jump right to it. I want to talk about the coronavirus, not so much just a virus, but the reaction to it, which has been just completely deranged across the board in Canada. Now, if you watch my show, you watch a podcast regularly, you know that I've been talking about the coronavirus, but I've been on the side of, you know, thinking it's not that big of a deal, thinking that, yeah, sure, take precautions, but it isn't the huge sort of chaotic, you know, rush to, uh, you know, protect us from this dooming, impending uh, illness is going to sweep the whole world. I, I, I think that that's overblown. And I think that the best way to react to these kind of things is, is just to sort of, you know, wait for information and wait for things to unfold. And like I mentioned several times, you know, more people are going to be effect, infect, affected every year by the common cold, by influenza, um, than by, you know, this, this thing that's getting tons of attention, tons of media, uh, you know, coverage. And, you know, the natural reaction is to sort of create panic and create fear. So I, w- I was kind of warning against that. You know, the thing that I was interested in more so was the origin of this virus, uh, which seems to have been sort of uh, this, the, the, the question seems to have been sort of settled. Well, if you trust the Chinese government, which I absolutely don't, I think the Chinese government is known for lying and we shouldn't really trust anything they're saying. Um, but they say that it came from a food market within Wuhan. Um, again, still really big coincidence that it happened to like originate in the same city where China has its covert biological warfare unit. Uh, but there isn't, it doesn't seem to anyone, doesn't seem to be anyone major linking those two aside from that one Israeli intelligence officer that I mentioned. That's not what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about is, so the virus has gotten bigger. It's infected, it's affected more people, impacted more people around the world. We have, uh, as I mentioned last week, we have a few cases in Canada. There's four known cases at this point, three in Toronto, one in Vancouver. Uh, As of February 3rd, approximately 17,000 cases have been confirmed worldwide. That's uh, included every provincial uh, division of China. Um, the first confirmed death was back on January 9th, and as of February 3rd, there have been 362 confirmed deaths. Again, we have to rely a lot on information from the Chinese government, and I'm just not inclined to trust the Chinese government. So for, for all we know, this is a way bigger deal in China, and they're lying about it, or perhaps for all we know, that these, this, this is over-exaggerated, and uh, there haven't been this many deaths, but again, it requires us to rely a lot on China. Um, there have been a few cases of uh, transmission outside of China, so the first local transmission uh, virus outside of China occurred um, in Vietnam when a father passed it on to his son and the father had been in China. The first uh, transmission not involving a family member happened in Germany where a man um, passed it on to a work colleague. Um, And then the first reported death outside of China has happened as well. And that happened in the Philippines where a 44-year-old Chinese citizen was confirmed um, to have contracted the coronavirus and passed away. So as a result of what's happening in China, China is massively cracking down on civil liberties, massively cracking down on the ability of travel. Um, Basically, there are 
uh, 57 million people in that country that are on lockdown, that are um, on full or partial lockdown, including the termination of all public transportation, uh, all outward transport train and long distance buses. Um, and as you know, you know, it was a Chinese New Year that just happened. So a lot of those local festiv uh, festivities were shut down by the Chinese government um, over fear of this virus. So it's important to keep that all in mind, you know, for, for all of the reaction that we're having in the West right now, uh, just keep in mind the place where this is or originating in Chinese, uh, communist China, fascist dictatorship, uh, they are really, really cracking down on individual liberty and freedom of movement and other freedoms. So we should, we should keep that in perspective when we're criticizing the West for how they're reacting. Uh, I think that there's a reasonable argument that you could make that Canada specifically is not doing enough when it comes to coronavirus, just given um, the, you know, the fact that we know that uh, transmission is human to human and we don't know exactly how it's being passed on. I think, I think because of that, we probably should be taking more uh, precautions, especially with people who have just come from China. Um, at any given time, there's about 12 planes coming from China to Canada. And so we're, we're talking about, you know, tens of thousands of people, if not more, that have come from China to Canada in the past few weeks here. Um, and as far as sort of any kind of like quarantine, any kind of like, you know, um, you know, taking someone as they get off the plane and, ke and keeping them away, doing, you know, in-depth uh, screening of people as they're getting off those planes, that's still not happening at this point. And I think that that's a lot of the reason why anxieties um, are spreading because, you know, we're watching other countries take major precautions. And then we see the Canadian government, which, you know, they've handled the situation okay. They're answering questions and, you know, they're, they're being more transparent than they usually are with these kind of like public interest stories. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you look at the United States just declared a public health emergency and suspended all entry of foreign nationals who visited China. So, you know, many people in Canada might say that's the kind of that's the kind of reaction that we should be taking. We should be uh, acting firmly right now because we just don't know the, uh, you know, what's causing this virus to spread. All we know is that it's, it's going human to human, uh, whereas Canada has not done that at this point. So the declaration went into effect on Sunday at 5 p.m. U.S. citizens returning to the United States who have been in China's Hubei province in the two weeks before the return will be subject to a 14-day mandatory quarantine. U.S. citizens returning from the rest of mainland China in the two weeks prior will face a health screening at a select number of ports of entry. Those citizens will also face two weeks of monitored self-quarantine to ensure they pose no public health risk. President Donald Trump signed a, pro a proclamation suspending the entry of foreign nationals who have traveled in China in the last two weeks. So, you know, that's a pretty firm response. And I think a lot of people are looking to Canada saying, you know, why aren't we doing something like that? Why aren't we at least taking more steps uh, to ensure that you know this issue is being dealt with. Well, I'll tell you why uh, Canada isn't doing that. Because Canada has a totally different concern when it comes to the coronavirus. They're not so much concerned about people who have been to China, not so much concerned about the human transmission, not so much concerned about quarantine or, or screening off planes. No, no, no. What public health officials and, and politicians and leaders in Canada are worried about is racism. They're worried about you and everyone you know, Canadians, uh, you know, showing their true colors and just being outright racist. That's basically the accusation. That's what we are being accused of. So 
leader after leader after leader <laughs> has done a press conference. It, it seems like every time you look at the news, you know, anything to do with the coronavirus, it's not about health precautions. It's about lecturing us, lecturing Canadians and calling you racist. So let's go through a couple of those. This is the health minister on CBC. Now watch the CBC host. Watch how smug she is and how much joy she takes out of accusing Canadians of being racist. It's like she knows she she, she Firmly believes that Canadians are racist, and here's just another opportunity of of you Canadians being just racist. And instead of you know being friendly and nice when it comes to how we deal with the coronavirus, you know they're just these bigots showing their true colors. So here's the first clip. So Minister, we're hearing from members of the Chinese Canadian community that the fears are are leading to some prejudice here. Are you concerned about racism? It, it absolutely concerns me, Wendy. So the very first question the CBC reporter asks the health minister of Canada. Now, you know, this isn't the minister in charge of like social harmony or something. This is the minister in charge of health. Her job is to make sure that Canadians stay healthy and, you know, avoid risks from these kind of global pandemics. The very first question she asks is about racism. And of course, the Trudeau minister is going to say, yes, I'm very, very concerned about racism. Uh, the, the risk of the virus itself, let's not talk about that, but let's just talk about racism. Racist Canadians, far from being the only one, far from being the only one. So uh, we have the mayor of Toronto, John Tory, basically making similar comments. He gave a statement. Uh, they gave a press conference where official after official after official got up and scolded Canadians, scolded Torontonians for being racist. Here's John Tory. I've been very troubled uh, to uh, hear of reports, one as recently as at lunchtime today, of people treating our Chinese-Canadian community differently. That they in some way are being or should be shunned or quarantined or suggesting Chinese businesses should be avoided. Okay. Now, what John Tory said is just over the top, of course. And the idea is that Okay, should, should, should Chinese Canadians be quarantined? Should, should they be accused of, of carrying disease? No, of course not. Of course you shouldn't make accusations towards someone just based on how they look or whatever. But when he says, you know, the Chinese Canadian, Chinese Canadian community are being treated differently, well, look, if you went to China, if you're a person who lives in Canada and has family member back, have family members back in China, or you personally went back to China for Chinese New Year, and you came back to Canada, yeah, you should be treated differently. You should be treated differently than someone who didn't go to China. Because if you went to China, you're at much, much greater risk of having being contracted of the coronavirus. And the thing about the coronavirus is that people don't immediately show signs of it. They, there's no, there's no immediate. Uh, you could be a carrier of the coronavirus without showing signs of it. So just because someone's not like sniffling or sneezing or coughing doesn't mean that they couldn't potentially have the virus and just not be showing signs of it. There's also been cases of people who have passed on the coronavirus even though they didn't have it. So it's affecting some people, not affecting others. Obviously, in the situation where we just don't have the right kind of knowledge, you have to treat people differently because you have to be able to weed through the information. And again, I'm not saying that you should, you know, refuse to work with or communicate. That you shouldn't. You shouldn't be prejudiced. You shouldn't be biased. You obviously shouldn't be racist. And I don't believe Canadians are. But but, but the idea that you're not even allowed to treat people differently if they happen to have just been in China that is totally absurd. Um, and again, just one of many many examples. You watch the rest of this press conference. You just see over and over again officials scolding. Canadians and Torontonians for how they're reacting to this. We are facing an emergency, not necessarily in a public health sense, but an emergency within the trans-Canadian communities because we are being singled out, we are being stigmatized because of 
the coronavirus. We know that inaccurate information, misinformation, continues to spread. And this is creating unnecessary stigma against members of our community. And again, here's a headline over at the CBC. Canada's chief public health officer condemns racist acts linked to the coronavirus outbreak. Again, why isn't Canada's chief public health officer more concerned about the virus and how we're handling all the people coming back from China? Why is she, why, why is it her role to be you know, lecturing Canadians and, and talking down to them. Uh, Theresa Tam says that discriminatory slurs are unacceptable and very hurtful. Okay, I agree. You should, you know, you shouldn't make discriminatory uh, slurs. You shouldn't, you shouldn't say racist things. But the idea that the public health officer, the chief public health officer in Canada is concerned about how Canadians are reacting as opposed to actually treating the virus is concerning. And one of the other problems I have with this, all this coverage, is that there's never any specific examples, right? Like the specific examples are always like, oh, people are saying mean stuff on social media. Uh, well, Earth to like every journalist and every politician in the world, social media is filled with people saying not very nice stuff all the time, every day, 24-7, to every single group, to every single side. So this isn't just something like new and we really shouldn't take you know, people's rhetoric on social media to mean that an entire country is racist. I mean, this, I'm just, I'm just so, so sick of this. Um, and of course, whenever there's, whenever there's an accusation of racism or discrimination, trust Justin Trudeau to jump up and start lecturing Canadians. So here he was at a Lunar New Year event scolding Canadians. Justin Trudeau takes so much joy in calling Canadians racist. This is like him at his best. Like you could just see he's so energetic. He's so excited and happy. Like he just, he's at his best. He's at his happiest when he's scolding Canadians and calling them racist. Just like here today, we need to support each other and stay united. Let me be clear. There is no place in our country for discrimination driven by fear or misinformation. Okay, again, so no real solid examples of Canadians actually being racist or any public figure or anyone anyone actually saying anything that could be deemed as being racist or xenophobic or discriminatory against Chinese people in Canada, and yet that's all we're hearing is these accusations. So the closest thing that you can say uh, to be tied to, to, to Canadians actually being, you know, xenophobic about this issue is that there's been a couple petitions. So there was a petition in the York District School Board. York District is just north of Toronto. And more than 9,000 signatures uh, were collected on a, a petition that were calling, the school, calling for the school board to keep children whose family members had recently traveled to China home for 17 days. And so because of this petition, a lot of people are saying like, wow, uh, look at those racist parents in York region. Uh, they're calling on Chinese families who went to China uh, to keep their kids home from school. And that's apparently a horrible, horrible example of racism. Uh, a couple things, though. York region is one of the most diverse areas in all of Canada. So not only did a lot of Chinese people sign this petition, but it's people literally from all over the world who came to Canada, new immigrants and all Canadians alike, uh, who signed this petition. So you know, a lot of Chinese people signed this petition just, just to say, hey, that's so racist that you created this petition. And also, if the school board had been taking precautions, if they had said, you know, anyone who went, maybe not anyone who went to anywhere in China, but if you were specifically in Wuhan and you came back, 
maybe maybe those family members should just sort of self-quarantine and stay at home. Or, you know, like we could follow suit with what all the other Western countries in the world and make it mandatory. Um, but instead, because, you know, obviously there'd be a lot of anxieties. Like if your child went to school with someone and you knew that there was kids in her class that were from China and that they had just been recently visited the, you know, ground zero outbreak of this virus, wouldn't you be a little anxious too about sending your kids to school, but no, we're not allowed to have any of these anxieties. We're not allowed to have any of these fears because that would be considered racist. And there's another petition from the University of Waterloo where a student called on the Ontario government to shut down all of campus to prevent the further spread of the virus. Uh, this was last week, and by mid last week, the uh, petition had already garnered 30,000 signatures. So all that is just to say that a lot of Canadians feel anxiety, feel fear because of the lack of action that's happening from officials, from the government. That's not because they're racist. It's not because they're xenophobic. It's not because they're just you know, waiting for an opportunity to like turn on their fellow Canadians. No, it's just that, you know, there's this global pandemic sweeping the globe. It originated in China. We don't feel like officials are doing enough to address the issue. And so people have, you know, fears about that. That doesn't mean Canada's a racist country and shame on all of the politicians and all of the journalists who are taking glee right now in accusing Canadians of being xenophobic. Okay, let's move on. I want to talk about the sort of radical left. You know, th there was a lot of talk a couple of years ago about how the, uh, the, you know, the far right is a problem. There's a radical right that's risen up. And a lot of people said, you know, there isn't a good distinction between the far right and just sort of mainstream conservatives. That was like one of the favorite talking points among the media, among left-wing journalists. They would sort of accuse all conservatives of being part of the far right, which of course is total nonsense. But I think you could make a really reasonable case that that is true on the left, especially when it comes to the environmental movement. So, you know, we have people like Greta Thunberg, who is this sort of like huge global phenom. She was recently just nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. She was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. She is sort of like a mainstream leftist, let's say. Um, she literally called for the end of all fossil fuel use. She, she said that our goal shouldn't be net zero carbon emissions. Our goal should be zero carbon emissions, as in shut off the entire planet. Just just shut it all down. Shut it all down. Uh, we're all going to, you know, go back to the Stone Age. She literally called for that. So, you know, you, you have someone like her who really should be a fringe figure based on what she's calling for. But because the media just, you know, love the image of her and, and, and the creation of her, she's sort of front and center. And Extinction Rebellion is another one of those groups. This is a really, like, disturbed, radical leftist group. If you look at some of their... Uh, public displays, you know, they do this weird art form, they do this dancing, they dressed in a really distinct way that makes them seem like they're sort of like, you know, opposed not just to carbon, but to like bathing and, and keeping clean and like presenting themselves in, in, in a normal way. Uh, th this is a fringe group by like all accounts. And yet 250 Canadian professors signed a letter of support for Extinction Rebellion's battle against the climate crisis. So this group is calling for all universities to completely withdraw their investment in the fossil fuel sector entirely. Basically, what they're calling for is for like hundreds of thousands of working class, blue collar Canadians to be out of work. Th that's what Extinction Rebellion is calling for. And now that's what 250 university professors are also calling for. They want their universities to 
sell all assets to completely withdraw any investment that they have in the fossil fuel sector to sort of go down this sort of climate alarmism, drastic measures to deal with the climate emergency path. Among the professors that signed this was also David Suzuki. So again, David Suzuki is supposed to be a mainstream figure, and yet he's signing a letter of support among universities, which are also supposed to be mainstream institutions in Canada, saying that they're, you know, in agreement and that they back the cause of Extinction Rebellion, which is a far left group. I don't think you can really tell the difference between the radical environmental left and just the mainstream environmentalists and the mainstream left in Canada anymore. There's no distinction. They all agree on this issue. They take very extreme positions. And, you know, that's that's sort of, that's where we are right now. You know, they, they, they basically just want to put sh- shut down the oil industry now, uh, be damned with all those workers and all those families who would be devastated by that. Okay, uh, let's move on. All right, so there's a video making the rounds over the weekend of the heritage minister talking to Evan Solomon, the host of CTV's uh, Question Period show, which aired on Sunday night. So this is basically, they're talking about bringing in licenses for media organizations, which is sort of the most Orwellian thing that you can imagine. The federal government wants to regulate the media. They want to regulate internet webs. They want to regulate websites, regulate the internet, essentially. And he's saying that you would have to have a license if you want to practice journalism. So if you want to be considered a trusted media site, you have to go to the government, go to Justin Trudeau and ask for a license. Can you... Can you imagine uh, what that would do? You know, there's already a left-wing bias in the news. Imagine if a left-wing government was the one that got to determine whether or not you could be determined a trusted news source. So this all came from, um, this was an exclusive over at Blacklocks. It all came from a Blacklocks report that came out last week. The feds proposed a media registry. A cabinet advisory panel created a bunch of recommendations that they gave to the government um, in involving, you know, how to handle the new age of digital media or whatever. Um, and so among these recommendations included a media registry. So the Heritage Minister went on Evan Solomon's show on Sunday to talk about what that would be like. So here is a clip from that show. As far as the licensing is concerned, is if you're a distributor of content in Canada, and obviously, you know, if, if you're a, if, if you're a sm- very small media organization, the requirement probably wouldn't be the same as if you're Facebook or, or Google. Um, uh, so there the, 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 the would have to be some proportionality uh, uh, embedded into this. But we, we would ask that they have a license, yes. So the idea, the very idea that the government would require licenses, that the left-wing government would say, hey, you know what, the media landscape in Canada isn't quite left-wing enough. Everyone who knows the media, anyone who pays attention knows that the media bias is already very left. But according to the Trudeau government, it's not quite left enough. So now they want to regulate everything and they want to be the arbiters in charge of who is an actual trusted news source and who isn't. Um, Of course, the mainstream media just totally missed the plot on this one. So the headline over at CTV News from this, which was really a train wreck of an interview. It went on. I watched the whole thing. Basically, guys, not only arguing that um, websites should be regulated and that they should have that you should need a license from the government in order to operate a news site, but he was also calling for more taxes to be imposed on the big, big social media sites, so Facebook, Google, and Netflix. Uh, The liberals 
proposed a Netflix tax and basically had to walk away from it because it was so unpopular. Well, Evan Solomon was accusing the Trudeau government of basically bringing in one through the back door because they want to impose HST onto these big companies because they have users in Canada. It was it was really the whole thing was just sort of showing, you know, just how much the government wants to uh, micromanage. They always overstep their boundaries. They believe that, you know, every single problem in society should be met with more government, uh, more control, um, you know, more power to the federal government. Uh, you know, any, anyone, not, not just, you know, conservatives watching this, anyone, especially people on the left who consider themselves social uh, libertarians or just concerned with social liberty, um, civil liberty, should be concerned about a government wanting to have this kind of control over the internet, which is supposed to be sort of the last bastion of freedom in our society. Um, again, quite a train wreck interview, and yet the CTV headline here says, licensing for media companies in Canada would likely be proportionate. So the major takeaway from for CTV over that interview wasn't the fact that the government was actually calling for a registry, but that but that licensing would be proportionate. So don't worry, guys. Uh, the little guys aren't going to have to have the same kind of requirements as the big guys. Uh, pretty absurd stuff. And I think because there's so much backlash over this interview, which was disastrous, and again, the government just openly saying that they want to crack down on freedom of speech and freedom of the press. Well, first of all, our friends over the Post Millennial put this little uh, post on Instagram, which I greatly enjoyed. Dear, dear Justin Trudeau, you're never going to make us get an effing government license to be able to criticize you regards the post-millennial. Good for the post-millennial, as I feel the exact same way. There is no way that True North would go groveling to the Trudeau government to ask for a license in order to practice journalism. We live in a free society. We live in a free country, and you don't need a license to be a journalist. Well, because of all that, the heritage minister basically had to walk it all back today. He did a press conference on Monday morning where he basically just clarified his response, walked it all back. So here's that clip. Let me be clear. Our government has no intention to impose licensing requirements on news organizations nor will we try to regulate news content. So, you know, the first time around, he told us what he really thinks. And then because of the reaction, he had to walk it back and come up with a new sort of government line. But you know that this is what the Trudeau government wants to do. You know this is what the heritage minister wants to do. They want to control. They want to regulate. They believe that the government is the solution to every problem in society. And so their instinct is always to say, yes, we need to regulate it. Yes, you need licenses. Yes, we're going to tax it. That's 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 the liberal mindset uh, in a nutshell. Okay. Let's move on. If you're like me, you were watching the Super Bowl last night. Of course, uh, the of all nights is the night we were watching the Super Bowl where Rogers, our internet provider, decided to kick out. So we had to stream the game on our phones, and it wasn't quite as good as watching it on, uh, you know, regular internet, but it just wasn't working for us. And I will say, I've spent the last couple of years in the United States, so I got so used to just watching the regular Super Bowl, I almost forgot um, that Canada still has this silly system where Canadians aren't allowed to watch the actual commercials for the Super Bowl. And it just drove me crazy. I could barely even enjoy the game because all I was doing was thinking about how frustrated it was. It's like, you just feel like you're living in some kind of like a fascist society where they won't let you watch the actual commercials. So you have to watch these sort of like, you know, these these horrible knockoff commercials that are like cringeworthy and Canadian content and just so bad. Like for me, the Super Bowl is a cultural event. It's not just about football. I'm not really a huge football fan. I actually kind of hate the sport and like a lot of the values that it purports and what it pushes. Um, I specifically hate the San Francisco 49ers. Um, 
But, you know, it's a Super Bowl, so you watch it because of the commercials. This is a time where they're putting out all the best new ads that, you know, the companies are spending millions and millions of dollars to have that ad location. And because of that, they're introducing all kinds of new products. So it was always kind of fun culturally to just watch the ads. Um, and the fact that you can't do that in Canada just makes you feel like, you know, you're just not as free. You don't have the freedom um, as our cousins do down in the United States. So that was a little frustrating. Um, and, of course, the halftime show. Uh, you know, I, I won't criticize J-Lo or uh, Shakira for their performance. I thought they did great. I, I never really understand, though, why they pick who they do for the halftime show. Like, I don't know. I feel like J-Lo hasn't really been relevant culturally for, like, a couple of decades. And same with Shakira. Like, all the songs they were singing were from, like, the 90s and the early 2000s. I don't get it. Why, why couldn't they have chosen someone with like songs on the radio today. It was the same last year, uh, Maroon 5 was the halftime show. And all the songs they were singing were from like the early 2000s. You know, there's there's good musicians out today. So why do they insist on having people that were famous 20 years ago? I will say I'm quite happy with the result, mostly because I hate the San Francisco 49ers. I lived in San Francisco. I went to a lot of football games and I just can't get over my hatred for that team. Uh, one of the games I went to was like at the height of the whole political kerfuffle over the national anthem when Colin Kaepernick refused to stand. So I went to a game with a couple of friends. We're all Canadians in the audience. Uh, first of all, not only did Kaepernick refuse to stand for the national anthem, but so did most of the people in the stands. Most of the crowd also refused to stand, which I thought was pretty disrespectful. So you know, we the Canadians were standing for the American national anthem. That's fine. They were having their political moment, and San Francisco is a notoriously sort of left-wing city. Um, but the problem I really had was later in the game, they did a moment where they were honoring veterans in the audience. And, you know, what they usually do is they tell a story of a veteran and talk about their history and how they serve the country and how they keep us safe. Um, and so as they were announcing these veterans, again, me and my Canadian friends get up and start applauding and start cheering for these veterans, thanking them for their service, for freedom. And I looked around and literally no one else in the in the section was standing. Like, like people were applying that, you know, we refused to stand for the national anthem um, because, you know, their whole thing was that they didn't respect the country and they didn't think that um, America was a country where everyone could prosper or whatever. They thought that police were, uh, they, they were protesting against supposed police brutality. Um, but that, that also carried on. So people were also not standing and not paying respect to the troops, to the veterans who keep us safe and protect our freedom. You know, that was sort of like the last straw. You know, I, I know that a lot of the players are different now and that, that things have changed, but I, I just had to cheer against San Francisco for that reason. Could never cheer for that team. And so I was happy that they didn't win. Okay, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll be back on Wednesday.